out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This is part three of my interview with the member of Edsel Auctioneer. This is with Ashley Horner, who I spoke to recently to find out more about life, love and poetry. Anyway, this is part three, as I probably just said. And uh, this is the point of the, uh, the narrative when the band is over. This is the mid-90s. And then what happens next? It's a fascinating subject. Anyway, Ashley is going to tell us everything and more. Anyway, over to you, Ashley. What happened when the band finished? So for me, at, that, at the point that we split up, I had... So that was May 95. Uh, where am I at? I'm at the end of... I'm towards the end of my first year at Newcastle Polytechnic, so I've all, I'm already a student. But I've done two years studying somewhere else to try to get into the film school. Yeah. Two years of kind of experimenting, making films, and doing very low-budget kind of pop videos for people like uh, Ian from Pale Saints with spoon-fed hybrid and stuff like that. Excellent. I did, I did a video called Boys in Zinc, which is really early VHS kind of stuff. And I made a, I made, we did a, we did a live, we, we, we shot a live show of the Edsels while I was at college. Uh, you know, I, basically I was using it as best I could to keep, the, to tie into the band. Um, I still ended up having another year and a half, two years. So I, did, I ended up going to Toronto uh, that that September and uh, hitting a massive depression, which actually now now that you mention it, probably is partly tied into the band's critical. Um, uh, and coming back and trying to make, uh, and continuing to make films, trying to make films. And... Uh, I would I would still go to gigs. Um, I remember Tris went off, and Tris, who was playing drums for the Edsels, he was kind of a roadie for Tinder Sticks. Right. Um, so I actually remember being in Toronto at college on my exchange scholarship, or where it was, as the twenty-something old man. <laughs> uh, you know. And Tris was in town with Tindersticks and I and, and they were playing just around the corner from where I was living in Toronto and going down to see Tris and and Tris telling me that he was going to become a dad and or not or he already become a dad or something like that. And it was like really bizarre that this kind of us two kids from Leeds were suddenly standing in a club in we're standing in Leeds Palace in Toronto, kind of talking about how, how you doing. Both of us <laughs> clearly kind of a bit shell-shocked at where we were. Um yeah, it was, you know, and, and Phil, who played bass with the Edsels, he was, um, what was he doing? I can't even remember what he was doing. He, had he finished studying? Probably. But he's, he, so Phil is the only one that I know still doing music. Right. So Phil, Phil uh, was always into punk. Um, and now he's the lead singer of a band called Cyanide Pills, who are a lead punk band and they tour Spain occasionally and Germany and release records on uh what's the record label called it's quite a, quite a cool little punk label um it, it might come to me I can't remember but yeah so he's he's the lead singer in cyanide pills uh, 
I don't know what Tris is doing, whether he's still drumming and doing bits and bobs. And what uh, happened to Aiden? Aiden, Aiden, uh, so I last saw Aiden about 10 years ago um, in Leeds because the last film that I directed, so I, I produce films and direct films, but on a very low, low level, uh, a very low budget level, uh, not, not just pornography. Um, <laughs> and I had a film that was playing actually in that cinema, the Hyde Park Picture House, where I'd fallen in love with cinema. It was doing a little tour of just like venues one night, every now and then. And he came down to that. He had a new wife. Uh, and he was, and still is, a lecturer at, I think, Leeds Met Metropolitan University right. in Rathmines. So he kind of, he ended up becoming an academic. Uh, Phil is singer in a punk rock band. And I think he runs a rehearsal studio. I don't know what Tris is doing. Um, Tris is a bit older than the rest of us, but like, hope he's well. Because yes, you know, if he, if he listens to this, hi Tris, uh, hi Aiden, hi Phil. Um, <laughs> these are my recollections, by the way, lads. Um, yes, they maybe didn't happen. But <laughs> um, uh, and so it's yeah, you kind of bereft. I I remember at at one point. Which was really weird, coming going to a party when I was a student in Newcastle at the Polytechnic, and coming down the steps, and someone was coming up the steps at this party in a house, and they said, "You're my favourite guitarist," and it was like, "Wow," I'd kind of forgotten about that. Right. Uh, you know, you've kind of, and this is the thing, because like now, so now I'm I'm in, involved loosely in the film business, and um. Well, no, that's not true. No, I'm. I, I, this, I work in the film business and, and on a very low level, but like this is what my life now. Yes. You know, I go to Cannes, I go to bloody Toronto, I go to. I was just in Oslo working on a on on some casting on a film that I want to do. Uh, I was in Poland the other day. I travel quite a lot on a very low budget, um, and 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 make films, produce them, and uh, direct them occasionally. And I kind of look at what the journey that I've taken through film, which kind of began at sort of 25, 26 after the music. And I'm always looking at the youngsters who are doing all right. And I'm thinking, what, you know, Jesus Christ, they're only 40 and they've got a film in Cannes. It's like, yeah. And you forget that you had this 10 years where you were a musician. Yes, absolutely. And, no. and, and I do feel quite lucky to have found a, a, another creative Root that also pays us equally badly as, as an <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, and, and and the thing is that I still go to gigs and I still support artists and I buy their records from them direct and uh, you know I still have I still have this slight idea that maybe one day I might play again, um, but it hasn't happened. Yeah. Yes. I mean, on the plane, I mean, if it was just the rehearsal, you know, in a rehearsal space, is that completely cool with you? Is it just literally the other idea? Yeah, no, it's just live stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, I've been, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a songwriter in the traditional sense of writing songs from A, B to C. Um, but I did, you know, ideas and riffs and stuff like that. I've been recording stuff on and off for the last 
30 years that doesn't stop yes but it's but it's kind of like it's not for public consumption <laughs> you know in an, in an ideal world i'd love to join a band as a guitar player and just be looked at for ideas and you know structure and stuff like that i'm a, i'm very much a, a collaborator and a craftsperson rather than art, an artist yes yeah well yes it, it's it's um it's still amazing to, to have done what you've done actually i mean did you also follow the kind of the world of um the pearl saints as well did you sort of watch what they they did next and how that sort of sort of finished as well yeah yeah of course well i mean they're they were friends and and even though i i'd left new i moved out of newcastle in 91 uh no uh, leeds in 91 and moved up to newcastle um i would still go see them play and what have you and uh and i knew meriel and um i remember the name of the last what was she called played bass room um can't remember but but we would hang out and we would at that time, I'd be in London quite a lot, trying to do different, you know, I would sometimes be in London working on films and stuff. And so you would bump into each other occasionally. There, would, there was a kind of cross-section of, of mutual friends and what have you. But um, the only one that I've stayed in, the only person I've stayed in touch with throughout, and it's very sporadic, but, but we are still in touch, is, is Ian from Pale Saints, the singer. Right. In Japan now. Um, and we've tried to collaborate on a couple of things for films, which hasn't kind of worked out. But I am I am toying with making a documentary about about four AD records from that period, um, and Ian's quite keen on writing the score for it. And we're playing with this idea of that begins at this night in the Camden Falcon and and goes back trying to find Ivor Watts Russell who set the label up and who's disappeared and stuff like that. God, it would be fascinating. I know. What is interesting doing this 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 show, and I don't know if you've also yeah. been looking at various bits and pieces that have come out, but there's been a lot of books that have been written recently, and a lot of people, photographic books as well. There's one on the Boston scene, Texas scene, CBGBs. Yeah. I mean, they're nearly 40 years old, and I think people just took all these photographs from Kevin Cummins, who did Joy Division and the Sex Pistols, yeah, yeah, yeah. and went, oh, that's great, but no one's going to be interested. 30 years' time, though, people are going to love these. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's been... Yeah, a lot of people have been writing their books, but also films, you know, and you think no one's going to be bothered about the, the album by The Wedding Present, George Best. But then that came out about three years ago, didn't it? And it was like, God, that's fantastic. And the go-betweens and the chills have had them. And, yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, I mean, the And the Nightingales. And, and I guess that everybody does, because it was kind of being in the band during that period. I have no idea what it's like now. But it, there was an intensity that produces quite a narrative, which is kind of in itself fascinating because because there was not and it wasn't the side hustle wasn't it being in a band no no, no, no. It, it was it, it was it was full on full heart on sleeve commitment and uh and and it was um i think i, I think we were very lucky to have been kind of you know i i remember pale saint supported sundays at the warehouse in in leeds and and uh just to see Harriet Wheeler sort of sound check and hear her voice at sound check it was just to me like jaw droppingly beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I think three months later we were playing a gig at Club Quattro and we knew they were coming about three months, three weeks later to Club Quattro. 
and we wrote a massive missive on the wall saying we beat you to bloody Japan, you <laughs> Sunday bastards. Uh, and, and there was this kind of real synergy because there wasn't, you were, you know, there wasn't, we didn't even have mobile phones, did we? No. It was kind of a postcard culture that was reading about your friends in the press and then there was being, at, you were out and in it. Yes. It was very febrile and exciting and uh, fun, but also very stressful. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and quite, you know, you can see what, you can see why people died and got ill and ended their lives early because it was, it was quite high pressure. Yeah. Uh, and I think you, I, I mean, suppose- I, uh, I, I'm very sad, you know. You know, Chris Ackland from 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 Lush. He was a really lovely lad, and and I mean, I don't know what demons he was dealing with, but he he was on the road for a long time with Lush's success and the Lollapalooza stuff and all the rest of it. And one of the things that I feel quite lucky is that I stepped away from the higher level stuff quite quite young and got chance to try kind of look after myself yes um and and i and i do think that there was there was it was tough for a lot of people um and his his suicide was really you know i hadn't seen him for a long time but it, it still still feel sad about it yeah no it's it's quite you know to be i mean there's the the kind of i suppose there was the new york scene in the 70s and the 80s where there was just as most people said, you know, heroin was so common and yeah, everyone yeah. just thought, well, there you go, fill your boots, what's going to happen? You know, it's like, oh my God, that's a disaster. So that kind of wiped out a lot of people. But, you know, yeah, a suicide like Chris is a bit of a, you know, you just... I don't want... think we should, by the way, I don't think we should put this in the podcast. I don't think we should let this run in the podcast. But it, yeah, I just, I, I thought it was a lovely lad. And, um, and, and it was quite, it was quite difficult to go f- to being from being northern musicians and coming to london because there was a lot of bullshit obviously and there was a lot and there was power and there was um there was elements that were i mean not massively unsavory i mean there's still massively unsavory elements in the film business uh, on a huge scale <laughs> um but it was quite refreshing to meet someone like chris who was who was a down to earth lad from carlisle or wherever it was from lake district um and you would meet people who you really bonded with very quickly. Like um, very early on, we did a Pale Saints did a gig in in France with uh, Wolfgang Press and Lush for Vaughan Oliver's kind of exposition in Wren. And we were kids, we were total kids. And it was like, we all got on a bus at, at the 4AD offices and drove to the ferry at Plymouth or wherever it was, at Portsmouth, went across to France and then drove over to Rennes. And it was like all the bands, there was Kim Deal was there, uh, Tanya Donnelly was there, everybody from the record label there. It was like a massive fucking school trip. And like <laughs> we stopped at some brasserie somewhere in the middle of nowhere for lunch. And like everything was in French. Not one person on the bus could speak French, <laughs> apart from me. So I had to order lunch for like everybody. <laughs> it was ridiculous, you know. And yet, you know, 
I was a 19-year-old lad sitting playing Jim Rummy with Kim Deal, and, and it was also totally wonderful. God. You know? What a, did you take any pictures? Did you manage to... No! Well, actually, it's interesting. I, did, I, I, I had a camera with me, and I was quite into photography, which obviously led into the film thing. And there's, a, there's an interview that we do for Snub TV, and I'm in the background with a camera taking photographs. I don't have any negative. I have, on that night, I took this one picture. Uh, so that's a picture from the gig in Wren. Can you see it? Yes. Uh, from the back of the stage of Mickey playing that gig. So I did take some pictures, but I don't really have many pictures of documentary style. Mm, that's such a shame. <laughs> now, and the other thing is, I've not gone, although I will, if I do make this doc, I haven't gone back through the archives. So there could be stuff that's, quite often I would shoot stuff, develop it, but not print it because I couldn't afford to. So yes. I've got rolls of negatives, uh, well, sheets of negatives, but it's... I, I'm a terrible hoarder, so I've I've kept everything. This I've is good. My, I've got all of my Shalala flexes from I scared to get happy in the early days and all of that. I've got everything. So, good. so you know, if you if you want to make a documentary and you need some stuff, come to me and I'll see what <laughs> I've got. But um, well, it's but interesting because I was going to say there's a, there's, on, a, there's another uh, person who was in a band very briefly called the Nivins from Northumbria. Northumberland. I yeah, I remember uh, the name, yeah. And uh, Peter Martin. Times. Peter Martin, you know, is in Newcastle, I believe, and he's he's got all those kind of bits and pieces. I think Bush he's been, and all that. Yeah. Yes, and I think he's been putting it on eBay of all things. But I guess he's you know, been selling stuff. Yes, I've noticed him selling stuff on the C eighty six site, and it's like, I mean, it's nice that he kept everything. It's quite interesting to see it as a visual document, but is he selling it because? It needs to make some, you know, I, the one thing, I've, I've sold quite a lot of guitars, blah, blah, blah. I've not sold any records ever. I've kept everything. Now, I've, I've needed to a couple of times, but I didn't. I haven't yeah. sold anything. I'm glad. I'm glad I haven't sold anything. Yeah, absolutely. I still might not listen to that first Tinder Stick single, but it's in my record collection. <laughs> you, yes, one would only regret you wouldn't get much and then you'd regret it. I mean, is there something if you could have said something to your like 16, 18 year old self starting out with all the kind of experience and wisdom and things that you've navigated, is there anything that you'd have whispered in their ear just before as they sort of stepped out into the big wide world? It's funny. So so now I've got quite a funny answer to that. Uh no, well, I haven't got a funny answer to it. But what what's I'll tell you what saved me from uh, from probably not probably. I didn't think I'd live past twenty five, and I hadn't made any plans really for past twenty five when I was um, not. I mean, not about being a musician, just about being young. I suppose there's that sort of nihilistic element to it. Um, I would whisper to my 16-year-old self, if you find a chance, get yourself an allotment. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I did get an allotment when I was about 22. Uh, 
and actually I think that probably helped me find some sort of equilibrium after those early years of music and and just you know stop me being a massive egotist although I still am could you could you have seen yourself becoming a monster in that in that world if you hadn't been a little bit more careful no far too much of a Methodist upbringing for me to become a monster um I, I think uh although I think I can be a monster <laughs> even now <laughs> so I don't know whether I've missed that David <laughs> um, uh I, I I think you can I think you can believe if you start to believe the press your own press uh it, I don't know I've, I I I genuinely still don't believe that and the, the nice I think the nice thing for me, well it also could be one of the negatives for me um I understand the power of collaboration and I understand kind of where I sit within the work that I make. Um, and I'm and, and occasionally I'm, uh, you know, I'm sharp and, and on the money and uh, brave and, and, and interesting, but not always. And I, I don't think you make anything in this in this world on your own. Um, it comes from a combination of lots of things. And if you lose sight of that and think that it's all because you're a fucking genius, then you've lost it. Yes. Well, it will be interesting when you see the Beatles film, because you can see that individually it's like, mm, it's all right. But as a, as a collective of the four of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then when they get this, um, is it Billy Preston comes, just wanders in, you know, and plays piano. And it's like, they all get really like, my God, we've got Billy Preston. He's got me, you know. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're such fans. They go, my God, great, just play. You're thinking, you're the Beatles. This is 1970. And you're just like, such fans, you know, this guy who's... Yeah, and I, I think if you lose that, I, I, I think I think you've lost. <laughs> I do think, you know, I, I still... I don't... <laughs> I don't like a lot of films that are made, but when I see something that I like, I really like it. And I still search for stuff. So we're on the film front, which is always kind of interesting conversation I have with myself and my partner. I mean, going back to films, and it's always a bit tricky. With music, you can go back and think, oh, yeah, that's all right. And and bizarrely, a lot of music from the past is often better than I remember, which is quite interesting. but films, it's kind of weird because, you know, I go back to those arty films of the 80s, like, you know, Betty Blue and Diva and, and those kind of films. I mean, when you, you know... They're of the... their time. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when like these... saying they're not as good as they were when you loved them. Yes, I know. This is true. And that's, and, and, well, that, but, but that's the thing about them having, you know, popularity and being zeitgeist and all the rest of it. I mean, st- you know, the first hour of Betty Blue is quite good still. Um, it it bears rewatching, but also you know, you're not 26 anymore. 18. No, I don't 18. know. Exactly. Well, I think I was 16 when I saw Betty Blue. I think. And uh, it was mind blowing at the time. The music. Yeah, absolutely mind blowing. But now I'm 53. It's 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 still a lovely film, but you know, there's a fashion change, etc. For a film not to age and to remain timeless is rare. Would you, say mean, the, the, would you say the Godfather films have kind of aged well? Um, 
I think Godfather one and two are still not bad. I haven't rewatched really Goodfellas. I'd like to, it'd be interesting to see whether Goodfellas age, has aged well. Um, I think. Uh, oh, Man City just scored a goal. Sorry, I've had the football on. <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm, I'm a Leeds United fan, so it doesn't really matter. Um, um, I think. So, so what? One of the films that. So there was a one film specifically that, that that I saw at the Hyde Park Pitch House that made me go, oh shit, I could make films. I they combined music and uh, uh, photography uh, and drama, and you know, and these things and and poetry, these things that I was kind of interested in, but I was looking for something that was. I'm not, you see, I think the three minute pop songs are fucking a brilliant thing. Um. But there is a point where you, where I don't think you should be 52 and trying to write three-minute pop songs. Mm. Uh, you know, you look at some. So, so one of the one of my so so John Cale is one of my favourite musicians nowadays, and the and what he created through the early days of the Velvets, etc. Et you know that journey. That's that's a grown-up's journey. You know, if I was still trying to write, I don't know. Razor cut songs now at 53, I'd be a bit upset, even though I think the razor cuts were a brilliant band. And and I saw a film called Baghdad Cafe. Oh God, the boomerang. Yeah, yeah. With with that uh lovely song, um, and this crazy big German woman, Mariana Sashbright arriving in the desert with a suitcase and a coffee machine. And it was all this quirk, surreal Dutch angles and filters and stuff. And I thought it was really wonderful when I was 20. Was and it made me go, right, I want to do that, 2021. I rewatched it about three years ago. It's awful. It's an awful film. Oh, my God. Performance is hugely theatrical. You know, there's some nice ideas and the production's quite good, but... It, 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 it's you know literally if you went to see it in the cinema now you just think it was the most unsophisticated hammy piece of shit right and yet it was a massive hit wasn't massive. it M- went to see massive it several hit. times I, I yeah thought... yeah it doesn't stand up because the sophistication of the form has moved forward so far well that's interesting and actually the beauty of the three minute pot song is that the form doesn't change. It doesn't need to become sophisticated. So therefore it remains timeless. Mm, yes. Well, that sounds about right, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it does. And, and, and all those, I mean, it's funny, those films that were so influential in the 80s, like Paris, Texas and the Peter Greenaway films. I mean, I, I just wouldn't go back to them because I think they would just be horrifyingly bad. Well, the thing is, I think they're best being part of a memory that you might revisit. And you might use in some way, but to actually go back and watch them is 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 going to destroy more than it creates. Yes, but do you think with Nell and I stands up? Well, I do think it does. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, and that's why it's a classic. See, and actually, Spinal Tap stands up, and also Bad News. <laughs> I haven't watched Bad News for a long time. I'd have to rewatch to, to be able to concur on that fact. But, bad, but bad uh, I, and Spinal Tap definitely stand up. Still. Yes. 
But uh, yeah, no, it's, it is. And I know it's one of those things about film, you know, watch your favourite films and you think, the thing is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare watch it again, just in case, like Catch-22 was a really big film in my life. And I think, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. MASH would look really dated because there's some scenes in it, which I know just would make you think, oh God, that's terrible. I don't know. Yeah, how. and I've been, I've been re-watching the MASH TV series and, and occasionally it's good, but it's not good. I tell you what I did. I tell you what I have a really strong abiding memory of that I think is a genius piece of work, as in this sequence, this scene. But I know that if I watch the film, uh, it, it, it doesn't work. So, Planet of the Apes, there's a lovely scene at the end of the film where Charlton Heston is talking to the orangut the main main orangutan guy, and they're looking at artifacts that they found in these caves, and he says that these, these are false teeth and these are reading glasses and 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 and, and the the elder ape says uh well i could come up with explanations for what these things are within our culture and then he and there's that moment where he sees the statue of liberty on the beach on the beach that moment where they're talking about these artifacts is really important to me but i don't want to watch the whole of the film <laughs> <laughs> yes it's that little kernel uh that that might fire some creative idea for a script or a you know a story or whatever would would you watch 2001 again i'm not sure ever if i watched it first time <laughs> uh, probably not what the one with uh with it's 2000 uh oh the space no i would actually funny enough that you mentioned that so what I, so recently i picked up was it um, this, this passion, the passion of uh, Space Oddity, which has got like a, there's a, there's a fresh DVD of it. Right. And, I, and the last time I saw it was a really bad print in about 97 when I was in Toronto. And it was a terrible print. Um, but it was in the cinema. I think I'd, I, if I saw it again, I'd go, I'd see it in the cinema, but like really with a clean print. Yeah, no, it's the, those films were so massive in one's life, and one, yeah, yeah, and and I just know that that's sophisticated. God, I'm I'm going to be such a cool person watching this film, and then you just think, oh, it's, probably, <laughs> it's probably going to be slow and boring, and I'll hate it. It's a bit like if you ever see John Carpenter's Dark Star, it's another one of those ones. You think, God, my memory of this is so brilliant, and yeah, yeah it's yeah, terrible. Yeah. And um, and the other film, which I know Mark Lamar thinks is his best, and I actually went to the UEA when he was there sort of presenting it because it was his favourite all-time film, is the one where the guy, there, there's, a play, there's a spaceship with, like, the last jungles of the planet of, of Earth on them, which I know... Uh, not... Yeah, it's called... It's called... I remember uh, the robots are called Huey and Dewey, Jesus. I can't yeah, remember. yeah, yeah. And, the, and it's called Cool Runnings, is it called Cool Runnings? Oh, silent running silent running cool running was the so, box, box so, later yeah yeah so silent runnings i thought this would be a really good film so i have a son who's 15 now and about two three years ago my wife and i sat down and said well what film should we get for him to see you know he should see cares and he should see this and he should see yeah. and one of them was silent running so we bought a dvd and he didn't want to he watched the first four minutes and walked out and i watched the rest of it it's not good <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it was a really important film but i was in i went i remember crying i remember being yeah yeah emotionally... and, and 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 it's a wonderfully contained you know it's a it's a 
it's a it's a wonderful message and all the rest of it, but you watch it so much more. I know. And Mark, yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark Lamar thinks it's just essential. In fact, he's like, God, I remember we were all a bit bored thinking, God, sorry, Mark, but I'm a bit... Yeah. It's not well, as yeah. I remember. But anyway, that's life, isn't it, really? That's, it is, it is. So, so, so uh, we've talked all about me, which has been wonderful, David, but um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Right. <laughs> well, you know, um, based in Norwich land, which is all very nice, I suppose, you know... Um, I think the 80s for me was was sort of fumbling around, sort of trying to find my thing and then sort of getting, doing an access course in 1990, going to university until about 97, 19, 1995. I was really involved in something which kind of was quite big. And I suppose it was not like, a bit like being in a band, but it was this kind of event that we used to organise or be part of called Dance Camp East. And it was a 10-day event and it sort of went through the whole 90s and then into a few decades. And it was one of those, it was 10 days of camping. It was a bit of a hippie, love-festy kind of new agey thing, which I suppose I was on the edge of. I never really bought the whole thing, but this mm -hmm. kind of event was really nice, like 500 people. There was an amazing community dynamic, which was great fun and Yes, I was kind of really involved in. I mean, unfortunately, with people, there were some great moments and everyone had a great time. And there were some terribly kind of awful moments where, you know, people dynamics are just never good. And I think some people got quite damaged during that period of sort of, yeah, yeah. you know, life. So that was quite a massive thing. And um, yes, and um, I don't know, life just, you know, you. So what do you do now? Well, I'm at the I'm at the wonderful world of Norfolk County Council, working in their well-being team, which is quite nice. You know, it's one of those things you sort of end up doing some strange things in life. You think I never experienced this, and then the other thing that happens as well. I don't know if you've done this in the last five or ten years. You sort of go to the gov dot code gov website and no, you look at your, your your pension and you see how many years you've contributed to your pension and how many years you've got left and you think <laughs> jesus and that's quite and you think jesus yeah. I've, got, I've got 10 more years before i retire and suddenly it's like i don't know how that happened um yeah yes I don't, I mean, there's no and, pension for me i don't think I'm and there's afraid. like oh yes there's a few contributions that period not so good yes no yeah. you know so i'm still because there was a few years i probably you know didn't contribute enough so um Yes, it's been it's been kind of interesting, but now it's like looking after one's parents in, in a way, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and sort of you know I have these kind of com you know conversations with my parents most evenings because they're in their eighties, and it's kind of weird the the aging process because they just go to funerals all the every week. They went to a funeral yesterday. They got a funeral next week, you know. And when I go and see them, they like going to graveyards and they they'll talk about all the people there, and you think, fucking hell, this is quite real, isn't it? You know, that's life. It goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it all goes quite quickly, you know. And then, you know, and obviously, it was a huge kind of music fan, so it was always been one of these things that I started doing little shows for future radio and then started doing interviews. And then I thought, well, this is a fascinating project, so um, there you go. And then you can't, I don't know, you must be the same, you just get into a project and you just can't let, let the thing go, can you? Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah, it's uh. So, like the film I'm trying to make at the moment, we 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 wrote it during the over the year and a half of the pandemic, and it was supposed to be kind of partly about just kind of staying sane. And now it's, you know, 
I'd never been to Finland before. I'd never been to, I'd been to Norway, but I hadn't been there for a long time. And I'm like suddenly trying to make a film in Finland and Norway. Not a massive budget thing. Like it's 600,000 euros or something like that, which is about the right level for me as a director. And I'm just having a really nice, you know, I'm having a really good time with the journey through it. Um, but we just decided last week that, you know, we won't shoot until March next year because we because the weather's wrong and we haven't got the money and what have you. Uh, and it still might not happen, which is the way of this, of independent film. Yeah. But it's like, uh, you've kind of just got to be prepared to keep working at it. You've got to, kind of, you know, there has to be a singularity of vision, really, to, 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 but, and around that, I have a lovely life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have this kind of crazy, I do think that it's a bit of a sickness to try and make cinema. Um, I think music is similar as well. You know, you have to be a little bit bonkers to stay in it. Um, I do recommend, because I did actually go and subscribe. I think it was, I can't remember which one it was, but I do these monthly ones with these Apple or, or whatever. And there was the Velvet Underground film, which is really worth checking out if you haven't. I saw it in the cinema, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, obviously, there wasn't much that I didn't already know, but, um, yeah, it really worked. In the, It worked on the big screen, for yes. sure. It was yeah. Todd, Todd Haynes. Yeah, Mr. Haynes, yeah. Yes. And that's, and that's the thing, you know, I, I, I have moments sometimes where I can, you know, I might be standing somewhere and I might be standing next, next to Todd Haynes. I have this weird, like, <laughs> with the CBGBs thing, like, uh, when we gonna... were there in, in 93, uh, Biv, do you remember there's a band called Bivouac? Yes. Derby, who were mates, and they were headlining at CBGB's, and Dinosaur Jr. was supporting them. They were second on the they were second on the bill. And someone came up to me at the bar and said, Have you have you heard that uh who was it? Uh what's it called? Fucking actor. Matt, Matt, Matt. Name a famous actor called Matt. Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon, yeah. That's oh my it. god, Rumblefield. Oh, Matt, Matt Dillon's in, have you seen? I said, and I looked around and I said, where, where, where is he? standing next to you. And I looked and Matt Dillon was talking, he's like, Matt is tall. <laughs> next to me in CBGBs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you kind of go, well, oh, that's interesting. And then, and then like five years ago, I was at this film festival in Croatia and there was Matt Dillon and we had a little chat about being at CBGBs in, in the early 90s. Look, I think we're going to run out again. But I'll, yes, I'll, so we I'll, should say goodbye. Say goodbye. Look, thanks ever so much. You need to sign off. I'll say goodbye. Yes. Okay, David. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Well, look. Step back in time to the mid eighties, and uh, good luck with the rest of the show. Yeah. Thanks so so much. Take care. I know how to end an interview. Anyway, a massive thank you to Ashley Horner for giving me the time for that interview, all three parts, and um, yes, some exclusive tracks as well. So, um, yes, I should put those up. Anyway, this has been David Esau, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. Um, All these have been archived as well, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. Thanks a lot. Take care.